chapter 20, verse 16. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Notice verse 17 as well. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. What I'd like you to see here is that the ninth and the tenth commandment has to do with word and thought. With words and thoughts. Now, to just begin with this verse here, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Some time ago I was asked and I said I would answer it at some point, who is my neighbor? Who is, who is the neighbor here that is spoken of that one is not to speak false witness against? Well, let me first of all give you this idea. This verse, this commandment, as the Ten Commandments have been given, are given to the covenant community of God. It is the covenant community of God. The covenant community that God in eternity past, when He set out the, what is known as the eternal covenant of redemption, it is His word, His covenant, it is His covenant people. These commandments, though bearing on all mankind, are specifically and, and particularly focused upon the covenant people of God, His chosen people. And consequently, you're dealing with a covenant community. Now, most commentators in the modern times, these days, in the last 150 years, because of other eschatological views that have interpreted systematic theology, and the loss of confessional Christianity, historical Christianity, and the loss of the understanding of the history of the church, have looked at the ninth commandment as having been a commandment given to the people of God relating to a court of law. And thus making it applicable today because it is you should not give a false testimony in a court of law. There was no court of law at Mount Sinai. That is a modern interpretation. There is also the idea of this being in regards to all individuals. Thou shalt not bear false witness against the neighbor as dealing with all individuals. This is not true either. This commandment begins from the concept of the first commandment. I, the Lord, am your God. He doesn't even say, I am. And he uses the word Lord as only used when it relates to the covenant people, Elohim. I am Elohim, your Yahweh. The personal name of God. Never are the people outside of God's people ever, ever in the Scripture to refer to God 
as Elohim, nor does God reveal Himself as Elohim. So this commandment is speaking directly to you and I as God's covenant people. The people that He has in His eternal covenant of redemption, as revealed in all of the New Testament, taught us that those in Christ look back to the work of Christ and look forward to the work of glory for us. And so what you have here is the last two commandments. We will focus on nine today. And the commandments have moved in descending order in le- from most important to least important, though completely important, because to break one is to break them all, and to break them all is to break the first, which is to make one guilty of idolatry. But I'm going to show you how the ninth commandment is completely paired with the third using the Lord's name in vain. So it deals with this idea. Here it is. It is talking about false statements. You are not to make false statements. This is shown in other places in the Scripture. For example, Leviticus 19.16 specifically says, You shall not slander. You shall not slander. Leviticus 23 verse 1 says, You shall not spread a false rumor. This is a positive action where you do it. You are the positive force. You are the one that says, or I am the one that slanders, or I am the one that makes a false rumor. But there is a negative action. And it is an action where I do not speak when I know the truth and yet I keep it to myself. And I want you specifically to look at this. Leviticus chapter 5. Leviticus chapter 5. If you're okay, would you say amen? Leviticus chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Now, If a person sins after he hears a public adjuration to testify when he is a witness, whether he has seen or otherwise known, is if he does not tell it, then he will bear his guilt. Do you see that? That is not speaking up. But this is in the context of the covenant community of God regarding truth. Jesus goes on and elaborates on this very specifically in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mountainside. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 through 37, Jesus actually exposits the ninth commandment. Matthew chapter 5. Verses 33 and following. Again, you have heard that the ancients were told, You shall not make false vows, but you shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is the footstool of His feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great King, Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your statement be yes, yes, or no, 
know anything beyond this is evil. So what then does he mean? Well, for the last part of the explanation, I need to tell you what neighbor is. I have waited, and you have patiently waited. What then is the neighbor? So here it is. The neighbor is the Hebrew word Rhea, R-E-A, Rhea. Are you ready? Here it is. Anyone else you happen to come into contact with. Anyone else you happen to come in contact with is your neighbor. It has nothing to do with proximity. And so the command is this, to the covenant people of God, you do not bear false witness to any person you come in contact with. I didn't know that's what it meant. That's exactly what it means. Thus ends the sermon. But that's not it. So let me show you quickly what is required of the Ninth Commandment. What is actually required of the Ninth Commandment? Did you know there are over 25 verses dealing with the requirements of the Ninth Commandment in the Bible? One is enough. The duties required in the Ninth Commandment are, you can't write these down, I'll send them to you. Don't write them down. It would be better that you listen. The preserving and promoting of truth between man and man and the good name of our neighbor as well as our own, appearing and standing for the truth from the heart, sincerely, freely, clearly, and fully speaking the truth and only the truth in matters of judgment and justice. And I am not talking about news facts, what you get from the Drudge Report. There is only one truth we know. It is the Word of God. And we would do much better to read and pray it than to speak about it until we are convictionally convicted that this is indeed what God says. And that involved, that's what something I'm about to put on the bulletin and on the window out there says, the Journey Church, where doctrine matters. Loving, desiring, and rejoicing in their good name, sorrowing for and covering of their infirmities, freely acknowledging of their gifts and graces, defending their innocency, ready a ready receiving of a good report, the unwillingness to admit an evil report concerning them, discouraging talebearers, flatterers, and slanderers, love and care for our own good name and defending it with the needs required, keeping of lawful promises, studying and practices whatever things are true according to the Word of God, honest, lovely, and of good report. That's what's required of the Ninth Commandment. I was listening to a famous preacher not too long ago with a buddy in here. We went to school together and studied. And he was trying to explain to us what a sermon is or what a something was. And he says, the best way for me to explain what this is to tell you what it's not. That is not the best way to explain something. It is always easier to just explain the truth. If you go learn how to... Uh, 
Uh, because, as I've told you before, if you're going to learn how to tell a counterfeit $20 bill, you don't take all the $20 bills that have been counterfeited and put them in your house and learn them. You just get one real $20 bill. But truth is on such hard times today that people would even question, is this truly a $20 bill? Well, there's a standard that says it is, and that's the truth. But what is forbidden by the ninth commandment? We see what is, and I, like I said, I will send this to you this afternoon. I, I printed it for you last week and you left them here, so I'm not going to waste the paper. I'm just going to send you the, I'm just going to send it to you in the email. What are the sins forbidden in the ninth commandment? There are about 62 related verses. The sins forbidden in the ninth commandment are, listen, all prejudicing the truth and the good name of neighbors as well as our own, especially in public, giving false evidence, subordinating false witnesses, wittingly appealing and pleading for an evil cause, outfacing and overbearing the truth, passing unjust sentences, calling evil good and good evil, rewarding the wicked according to the works of the righteous, the righteous according to the work of the wicked, forgery, concealing the truth, undue silence in a just cause, holding your peace when iniquity calls for either reproof from ourselves or a complaint against others, speaking the truth unseasonably or maliciously to a wrong end or perverting it to the wrong meaning or in doubtful and equivocal expressions to prejudice the truth or justice, speaking untruth, lying, slander, backbiting, distracting, tail-bearing, whispering, scoffing, reviling, rash, harsh, and partial censoring, misconstructing intentions, words, actions, flattering. I could go on and on and on. You know what's better? Just don't. Just do what Mama said. If you can't say something nice, keep your mouth shut. The only problem is the Tenth Commandment. Because God has got the whole market cornered. This is your outward word, but what about inside? Well, let me tell you something about this. I want you to write this down. This is the major objective of this message I want you to understand. I want you to write it down. I'm going to give you three points under it. This will not take long. Here it is. Personal untruthfulness hurts the whole community. Personal untruthfulness hurts the whole community. Now we're not talking about CNNs. We're not talking about the Democrat Party or Republicans. We're not talking about 45 or 43 or 46. We're talking about you and we're talking about me. Personal untruthfulness hurts the whole community. When I moved here, uh, I, you know, I had to had to get a new set of tires, I had to get 
some windows, some glass work done on my house and whatnot. And I asked around about places where I, and, and I finally decided on a place to go work and, and get some things that I needed. And I've traded with these folks uh, since I've lived here, almost uh, 11 year, over 11 years now. But I cannot, when I go trade with one of those places, I cannot help but remember the one time that someone came up to me and gave me an unrequested bad report about the owner of a business that has had no effect on me whatsoever except that I think that. And it was something done 40 years ago. Who cares? But because an unfaithful word was, and it was a brother by the way, an unfaithful word was given. It's effective. And I want you to know I am not innocent of this. This passage of Scripture is particularly offensive to me and my own nature because I, I have to really, really preach this to myself. Don't agree so quickly. Whoever the mm-hmm was, as the Bible says, you can violate the eighth command, ninth commandment by telling the truth at the wrong time. Mm, no, you're all right. In John, 1 John chapter, 1 John 3, or 1 John chapter 3, those of you that endured that with us over the summer and last spring as we studied, the Bible tells us that we have passed from darkness into light when we love our brother. We know that we have passed from darkness into light when we love our brother. What is he stressing? He is stressing our obedience to the second table of the law. That is our horizontal relationships, our love of our neighbor. That was in 1 John. Our love of our neighbor. It is a reflection. It is an index of our love to God. How you feel and speak about your neighbor, anyone that you come in contact with, is a direct reflection, according to Scripture, how you feel about God. And the children of God are commanded by God to be different than everyone else. We don't return fire for fire. Anyone who claims to love God, yet... And you can see that love, as John says, can be seen in the way that he deals or she deals with his neighbor. That's 1 John chapter 3. So how you love God is evident. So you're going to go to lunch today. Are you going to interrupt someone else while they're making their order so you can get your order? Are you going to be unkind to the waitress? I was at Cracker Barrel this morning, not very long. I forgot my eyeglasses, and I went and got these and it, it, wherever I went and got them, the drugstore. And uh, I couldn't read a thing, but I saw the lady that, that takes care of me on Sunday mornings this couple came in and sat down and she offered them something and she was just too friendly and when she walked off, that one of the men at the table just said the most horrible thing about her. But this is my response. What do I know that's true? She is not that way and I don't know him and I probably never will see him again 
And that's the end of it. And thank God she didn't hear it. That's just how people are. But I'm going to tell you something. One thing I didn't walk out of there with is thanking that guy loved the Lord. And he was dressed for church. And that's why when you eat lunch with me or dinner, I've always told you over these years, and this is not a self-embellishment or aggrandizement. They bring you green beans. By goodness, you eat them. Don't act up because you didn't get what you wanted. I ate something last night I didn't even like, but I ate it. And in a day or two, you know what? I won't even remember it because I can't remember what I ate two days ago. Amen? But it's good for me. So if you want to know how you love God, you want to hold your hand up and be so brave that you love God, well, let's look at how you speak about your president. Yeah. Let's just let the water hit the wheel. You're to pray for Him, making entreaties that your life may be... The Bible doesn't say that proving all of the falsehood that comes out of the White House and all the lies and everything that they do, no matter who lives in it, everyone that's ever lived in that house is a narcissist and they had to get there lying through their teeth. Every single one, even Honest Abe and George Washington. But I'm going to tell you something. It has nothing to do with whether or not you can live a quiet, godly, dignified life. God says to pray for those people because it is God that changes men's hearts. Their plans are all they are. They are, His, they are their plans, but He is the one that orders the steps. And that's what people of faith believe. That's what ple- and that means you say, well, what are you, just a liberal? That's not the truth. You're slant, you would, if you're thinking that, you're slandering the man of God. Listen, what did we read? We, wrote a, we read a story just a moment ago about John the Baptist. And he told Herod, what you're doing is wrong. You know, what's a violation in Exodus, what he was doing? The what commandment? The sixth. And, he, and you know what? There are people more politically astute that would have said, you know what, he shouldn't have done that. He should not have told that because he lost his head. He was being the man of God. And it's time for the men of God to stand up and be the men of God. Because greater is He that's in us than He's in the world. My future has nothing to do with who occupies 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. My whole future is staked on the one who sits on the throne. And if you don't like it, then more power to you because our life is to be an altar on the altar of Christ and a sacrifice in His service. And one thing America needs today is someone to tell them the truth from the Word of God. Not someone using the pulpit to preach an eschatology of fear. God has got the whole world in His hand. Whether they're communists in Russia or communists in America, He's got it covered. Amen? We are, to, we are going to focus our discussion, though, on the specific kind of speech which is hurtful to our neighbor. And He gives us the command because He wants us to be concerned about the well-being of our neighbor. So write it down. You want to be concerned about the welfare of your neighbor. So point number one, since personal untruthfulness hurts the whole community, 
then number one, keeping this command means you are always concerned about the effects of your speech on the community. You are concerned about the effects of your speech on the community. That's the first thing that we must understand. Of all the keepings of this commandment, it means that I am concerned that what I say will affect anyone and everyone to whom I come in contact with, my neighbor. I need to be careful. And that, consequently, we are not to employ speech that is wrongfully harmful to our neighbor. So let me ask you a question. So maybe I said something already politically you don't think is right. Someone, do you remember when I wore the yellow and blue tie that Sunday after Ukraine got blued up and all that? Some folks have not come back to our church because they said I was political. You all know I'm the least political person in the pulpit. And you know how I have never, ever, ever done that. But, and, and I was astounded that it was said, but it didn't bother me. But you know what? A false report was brought. But I don't care. Because I know what's true. We were to pray for them. And at that time, we didn't know what was going on. And we still need to pray for them now. We need to pray for all people. But ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to tell you something. Under this concept, when you keep this command, means that you are concerned about the effects of your speech on community. See, this is completely totally uncharacteristic of the last 50 years of our country because people are concerned about their right to say whatever they want to say. The Bible tells us that our speech affects anyone we speak to. None of us can go to the movie house this afternoon and yell fire. You can claim it's your First Amendment right, but you are most certainly going to have committed a felony. You cannot do that. And so, how much more then should we not employ speech that's harmful to other people? For example, it, the, the commandment prohibits a false testimony. It prohibits perjury. It prohibits slander and gossip. God is telling here, His people, they are not to use speech that hurts other people. Most crimes that you and I could have ever heard or have ever been brought before a judge are kinds of crimes that somewhere in there was a lie. Somewhere in there, there was a falsehood. We just had a hung jury for a murder trial this week. man admitted to, to uh, killing another person, and the jury was a hung jury, whether or not it was self-defense or not. So the trial was declared a mistrial. Somebody knows the truth. But how much more in our dealings with anybody we come in contact with? First of all, write this down. Under this point, letter A, if you want to say, uh, when you give a false testimony or false evidence, you're setting up some terrible effects. And I want to show you what they are. One, uh, one is you're injuring the innocent person you're accusing. It, inner, it, it injures an innocent that is accused. To give a false testimony was a direct assault upon the freedom and dignity of another member of the covenant community. If I go out here on the street and I walk up to somebody and they're wearing a certain color cap with a certain acronym across it, I, can I just boil them down to, to, oh, well, you're one of those kind of people. 
I walked into Cracker Barrel this morning. I decided not to wear my Texas Tech tie, although I was very excited to do so. But I walked in this morning, and there was a man in a wheelchair, and he had on a Texas Tech shirt. And I gave him the guns up, showed him my ring, said, Class of 94. He goes, Rack them! And I said, You know what? I've got a son in law that's an Aggie, and I say, Gig them too. And he said, Why would you say that? I said, Because TU lost. Could, they, could that man then decide after that he knows everything about me because I went to Texas Tech? But you're smart enough to get into A&M. <laughs> At least I can spell it. I mean, and see, that's what we have. We don't have systematic racism in this, systemic racism in this country. We have systemic labelism. Someone says something that you don't agree with, most folks don't even have the courage to continue to listen because they've labeled the person what they are. And so you have to boil down to what's the truth. All I know the truth is is that the Lord says in His Word, I am His and He is mine. Character under construction. Justified, sanctified, pray for the salvation of all men. Lord, even so, come back now, but I'm not done yet. But whenever you're ready, you don't want to say bad things about people or a false accusation or sum it up because you may be hurting an innocent person. Secondly, here it hinders the administration of justice in that particular case. You may have biased somebody because of your false speaking. Thirdly, it undermines the public confidence in the ability to get justice. If you saw a couple weeks ago, we had the trial here on the square over the, 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 the three young people who blocked the state highway, committed a Class B misdemeanor. It took the jury less than 15 minutes to convict them and even less time to sentence them. When you read the Denton paper, it was all because of the color of their skin and sexual preference. That is not fair. Justice was served. And it would have been served if it had nothing to do with their color of skin. They broke the law. And what was the truth? They were in the street and told to get out of the street. And that's it. Justice wasn't done. But because all of that was done in Denton. Last Sunday night, there was another protest out here on the square. There was another protest on the square. We haven't had one in two years, so we came down here to make sure we had windows. No justice, no peace. No justice, no peace. No justice, no peace. May it never be said among the people of God, we are not to bear false witness. You hurt the community. But under this concept, where keeping this command means that you're always concerned about the effects of your speech on, a, on your neighbor, here's a second thing I want you to see. is the way to counteract, the way Moses in the law counteracted false testimony. And if we had this today, where wouldn't be one of us alive? And this is the reason. Every, every statement had to be justified or had to be corroborated by two witnesses. There had to be a corroboration. One person could not substantiate the claim by him or herself. Secondly, and more importantly, there was a provision in the law of Moses that if you brought a false accusation against a person that resulted in some kind of punishment, and it was determined that your testimony was false, that person would not receive the punishment that sought you would. 
So, you know, if Brother A is out there in his pasture with his bull, and Brother A's bull goes over and gores Sister B's bull or cow or steer or whatever, moo thing, goes over there, then the law said there had to be uh, equanimity. There had to be justice done. So the bull would have to be killed. But if you went out there and said, no, it wasn't Brother A's bull that went and killed Sister B's cow. It was Brother D's bull that did it. And so they go off and they kill Brother D's bull and Brother A still has his bull. Well, guess what? Found out he was lying. You know what they do? Under the law, they go back and kill Brother A and his bull. So there was no bull when it came to lying. I didn't even make that up. That just came out. Number two, the main thing. Number one, we want to remember that keeping the commands, you were always concerned about the effects of your speech on other people. Number two, main point, obedience to the ninth commandment, we always have in view that our speech is a measure of our love for God. Our speech is a measure of our love for God. Jesus stresses the absolute truthfulness in His solemn witness right here where we read in Matthew 5, 33-37. I want you to listen to these words. He said, Let your yes, yes, or no, no. What does that mean? That is the speech of Jesus. That is the speech of of Christians. We, in this command, what is brought to bear on us is simply this. We do not swear, but our yes is yes and our no is no. We are, enc- we are encouraged not to be oath keepers. We are encouraged not to look for loopholes. We are encouraged not to do all of these things. Jesus even says, don't make Oaths, he says, just tell the truth. You don't even have to invoke God's name. But on the flip side of this, he does something else. He prohibits all false witness. Listen, listen, false accusers violate his command. That's a false witness. A false witness, just you can write it down, what is a false witness? It's someone who accuses falsely. That's a false witness. A false witness is someone... uh, that violates the command of God to tell the truth. Number three, under a false witness, he is a person that denies the guilt or culpability of a guilty or culpable party when knowing the same to be opposite. He is number four, one who conceals the truth or invents stories. And five, he's a false pleader. He pleads falsely. He appeals to truth and justice. He says, I know this is the truth, but it's not the truth. But it does something else. It does not, under this concept, if I want to show that my speech is a measure for my love of God, one, I don't bear false witness. Two, I don't speak to harm other reputations. Harming other reputations. 
It is not my goal to harm another person's reputation. Because when you hurt person, people's reputations, you fracture community. And when you do that in the church, you have all kinds of problems. Congregations that are our size, you know, we have to always be on the lookout to make sure that this kind of poison, if it's seen, is immediately dealt with. And fortunately, we don't have to deal with it often because most of us came to this congregation because we were sick of it in other places. But I want to tell you another thing that shows I love God concerning this idea. Not only is it that my yes is yes, my no is no, I don't give a false witness, I do not speak to harm someone's reputation, but here's the one that really is impactful. And it comes from 1 Corinthians 13, 7. It's where I speak to preserve the reputation of my neighbor. Kind of makes the first eight commandments a whole lot easier, doesn't it? This one is hard. Preserving the reputation of my neighbor. Did you know it says it is to... It is to the glory of man and the glory of God to conceal a matter. You don't have to tell everything you know. You say, well, we're to tell the truth. Well, maybe someone's not asking for it. You're not to, know, you, you, to conceal things. So let me just give you a few verses and then I'll shut it off. Let me just ask you a question. Do you love it to hear when your neighbor stumbles? You say, well, you, who's my neighbor? Anyone you've come into contact with. Do you love to hear it when your neighbor stumbles? Or can I say it another way? Do you love it when anyone you've ever had contact with stumbles in your whole life? If you do, you've got a problem with the ninth commandment. For example, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8 says, You know, we ought to be as ready as we can to cover the weaknesses of our neighbor with a mantle of love. Write that verse down. First. Peter chapter 4 verse 8 you know we ought to be as ready as we can to cover the weaknesses of our neighbors with the mantle of love let me say it again 1 John 4 8 we need you know he says you you know we ought to be as ready as we can to cover the weaknesses of our neighbors with the mantle of love 1 Corinthians 1 4 through 7 tells us of the application of this ninth commandment, freely acknowledging the gifts and graces of our neighbor instead of being jealous of the job that they've been given, for the talents they've been given, the gifts they've been given, for the maturity they've been given, for the virtue they've been given, we ought to rejoice for what they have. The superintendent of the Whitesboro schools was at a ball game the other day, and Kelly was there watching one of our children play. And that superintendent came up to Kelly and talked to her about her daughter that is a brand new teacher in the district. And all of these virtues that he has heard, seen, and read about her. And my counsel to my daughter last night at dinner, and I'm having to eat my words right now, as I said, you make sure that you just do your job and keep your head down because other people will resent you. And the truth of the matter is that's not the truth. 
I slandered her co-workers. I don't know her co-workers, but I know her. And if the boss says she's good, then by goodness she must be good. Doesn't mean she won't slip, but I'm not going to slander her. But I was even realizing my own self because what I was trying to do was to kind of take the shine off the star a little bit about her so she wouldn't get her feelings hurt when, you know, maybe her test scores come better than someone that's been doing it for a long time. And what I should have taught her is what I'm teaching you right now. We need to rejoice in everything that everyone else has been given because we learned last week we're not to steal because what other people has is God's provision to them. And we need to be content with the provision He has given us. Well, some people steal it. There's one man in this town that owns every inch of land from the Cracker Barrel to the border now. God bless him. If he wants to bless a local church, I'm willing to give him an address. I got three different ones I could give him. But that has no bearing on me. The reality of it is we should rejoice when people do good, not turn around and say, Care Grace, you know you did really good, but I want to just suck the joy out of your life until you keep your head down so that that never happens again. That's false witness. Well, it sounds like wisdom. Well, the wisdom of the world leads to death. The wisdom of God leads to life. Why have we become so sick that we cannot celebrate a compliment? First Baptist Post, they'd always say, Pastor, we don't tell you you preached a good sermon. We're afraid you got a, you'd get a big head. My head can't get any bigger. That's slander. 1 Corinthians 13, 6-7 tells us that we ought to be unwilling to receive an evil report of our neighbor. Churches have a committee. This one doesn't that does this. It's called the Telephone Committee. And it's a committee where they get on the phone and they give evil reports. Though quick to receive a good, we should be quick to receive a good report. We ought not to love to hear bad things. You want to know how you can fix that? Turn your news off. There's nothing good. It's terrible. Psalm 101 verse 5 tells us that those who truly love the Lord discourage talebearers. Why would you want to support advertisers that, that are on television for people that are talebearers? They discourage gossip, slanderers, as well as flatterers. This command concerns us to be careful, listen to me, with the reputation of our neighbor. Have you thought about that? We're so concerned about our own freedoms, my own ability to carry my own this or have this or whatnot. What about the reputation of my neighbor? It's the reason you can't go into a bank today and with your hand out and say, look, I'm going to overdraw a check and I'm going to write it and I'm going to come back to you next week and I'm going to pay you for it. In most places, you can't do that because people are talebearers. There was a time when people's word was yes or no and now it dies by a thousand qualifications. And so Jesus gives two categories of speech and I'm finished. One, He says... Yes. If you say yes, that's your yes. Queen Elizabeth lived by this rule. She said, do not complain and do not explain.
I have decided I'm going to try that out. I'm old enough anyway. And you see this really is an exposition of the third commandment. That's the other part Jesus shows us. He shows us our speech, but then He exposits the third commandment. Because when you speak in speech that harms your neighbor, you are taking God's name in vain because your neighbor bears the image of God. And you cannot say what is in that person or what is behind that person. And we have, and, and, and church, I'm telling you, the people leading the biggest movement of this kind of speech that hurts people is the church. For political gain. And so how do you curb it? Here's how you stop doing it. Number three, obedience is simply this. The cure to false witness is obedience. I just want you to write down James chapter 3, verses 5 through 8. It's obedience. The Bible tells us God prizes truth. Isaiah tells us God is the God of truth. Job tells us God does not deal wickedly. John tells us we're to worship Him in spirit and truth. Deuteronomy 19, 15 through 21 tells us that we are not to bear false witness. And so in James, you have the cure to all of this. You have the cure to all of it. And it is simply very easy. You need to set your mind upon the gospel. That's it. Number one, set your mind upon the gospel. And know that the line of the law runs right through it. What is the gospel? Who is Jesus Christ? What did He do? How did He do it? What did He get? And how may we procure it? Because we have committed cosmic treason. That's the gospel. It begins in Genesis. It ends in Revelation. The gospel, number two, calls us to a better way. So that means get off the path of slander. Get off the path of giving a negative report. Get off the path of negativity. You say, that sounds like Joel Olstein. Don't bear false witness on me. That's what the Lord says. And I want you to know something since I said that this is not your best life. It's to come in those in Christ. We don't win here. We win in the hereafter. And last, we bear witness this way. You ready? To obey the ninth commandment is when you decide to seek your neighbor's flourishing. When it becomes your endeavor to seek the flourishing of anyone you know or have dealt with, or in contact with. You seek their flourishing. You will not only be obedient to the ninth commandment, but you will overcome the seeds that bear the fruit of breaking it. You seek the best for people and their flourishing. And you become a person that then begins to be altruistic. But it doesn't end there. 
And that's why we'll pick up next week with your thought life. Because out of the heart and the mind, the mouth speaks. So, let us pray.